This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, a familiar face is named coach of Fiji's National Rugby League side six months after steering the Bati to the knockout stage of the World Cup. Meanwhile, the PNG Hunters are gearing up for the Queensland Rugby League season, but an NRL jersey might be on offer for a couple of players following a new partnership deal. It's been very exciting for us. We've never had an affiliated club or we've never had an opportunity like this, I guess, in the past. And it's a history-making week in Tonga following the launch of the nation's first ever Rugby 15s competition. We have a look across at Fiji and they've taken 10 years to get to the stage where they have a very competitive international team and we wanted to get to that stage. That's women's rugby league team, I should point out. Uh, we'll learn all about that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans, so glad to have your company. But first, the Fijian Andrua and Moana Pacifica will be hoping the rugby gods smile on them a bit more kindly this year as the Super Rugby Pacific season kicks off. And as Talea Olatea reports, there have been some significant off-season player exits for the Andrua, but the club says it's all part of the plan. All Pacific eyes will be on Tamaki Makauro, Auckland's Mount Smart Stadium, on Saturday afternoon as the Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Andrua go head-to-head. Both teams will be looking to move on from their 2022 seasons, where out of the 12 teams competing, Andrua and Moana finished 11th and 12th respectively. But an adamant Andrua coach Mick Byrne says this season will be different. Obviously, we're in a far better place than we were last year. We've had a really good pre-season. They've been training really well, so there's a lot of confidence in the camp at the moment. And there's quite a lot of excitement around getting back into it. You know, we've been going for 17 weeks, so you know, to be able to face off against opposition in real life is going to be great. Part of the Andrewa's confidence going into this season might be down to the huge growth in Super Rugby experience for the side. When they made their Super Rugby debut last year, the entire team had only 13 Super Rugby caps and they all belonged to one player, Baden Kerr. That number has now risen 13-fold to 181 caps. And this weekend, they'll also have Tokyo Olympics and World Cup Sevens gold medalist Iosefo Masi making his debut at outside centre. And his World Cup Sevens teammate, Elia Thanakavata, might also debut off the bench for the forwards. Now looking across the halfway line, Andrew coach Mick Byrne says the Moana Pacifica squad will also be better off for the challenges they faced last season too. They're in exactly the same boat as us. Um, they're going to be they're well coached. They've got a very good coaching group and good good leaders in there. Uh, they've had no preseason last year. They had less preseason last year than we did. So they're going to enjoy the fact that they've been together now for a preseason. They're going to be a far better outfit like we are than the last year. They're going to be probably one of the most physical teams in the comp. So we need to make sure that we, uh, we're we ready for that physicality. And, and we pride ourselves on our physicality. So I'm guessing it's going to be a rather physical game. The Andrua will be hoping they can cover for the off-season loss of Calavetti Revovo to the Bristol Bears, while former Andrua winger Vinaya Hobossi, who was sacked, has joined French top 14 side Racing 92. Club CEO Mark Evans says it's all part of the natural cycle of the sport, and Byrne is only looking ahead. 
there's a lot of excitement in the camp. And, and as you'd expect, you know, the first game of the year, I mean, every coach would be sitting here, every super coach is probably sitting here saying the same thing. Their, their players are excited and ready to go, and we're looking forward to it. Fijian Andrew coach Mick Byrne speaking there, and the reporter was Talia Olatea. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, he was thrust into the top job literally at the last minute during the Rugby League World Cup last year. But now six months on, Weiss Kaitivarata is the permanent coach of the Fiji Party. He takes over from former coach Joe Rambele, who was hospitalised with an untimely illness two days out from the World Cup in October, leaving Kaitivarata to take the helm and lead the Bati to a quarter-final berth. The, FNR, the FNRL must have liked what they saw because on top of being name coach, he will also assume the role of national coaching director. To find out more about what that will entail, Weiss joins us on the line now. Weiss, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Not a problem. So you beat out about three other candidates to, uh, to win the position of head coach, I read. Did you have a feeling you, you were going to get the job all along? Uh, no, I, I went in there... Um, hoping that you know they'll change their mind and take me now because you got Joe Rambelli and Tony Wesley, they're based in Fiji and uh, they're well renowned in Fiji in a rugby league circuit. So I went in with um, new vision, new changes, uh, what Fiji rugby league need. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said in the intro, you were literally thrust into the job uh, back in the World Cup and, uh, and and it was a pretty respectable effort as well, leading the team to the knockout stage. Do you think that World Cup performance, uh, you know, played a part in you getting this job? Yes, played a very big part. Uh, I walk in three days, four days before the game against Australia, so it's hard to uh, to put the team together because every other team has been um, well prepared months, six months before the World Cup. My job is to do it in four days. Uh, after the World Cup, I think I, I everyone looked at me differently regarding to the way Fiji Rugby League and Fiji itself moving to the right direction. Uh, and apart from that, for, and the work I've done in the past, uh, regarding to most of the NRL players that play in the World Cup, I recruit them to the NRL. So that's make my job a bit easier too. Yeah, it's funny how it all works out sometimes, isn't it? Now, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I understand it's a three-year contract, so that'll take you through pretty much to the, to the next World Cup, which is in 2025, I think. What vision do you have for the program over the next few years now that you're the man in charge? Um, I, um, I'm going in uh, next week, I think. I'm heading to Fiji, uh, based in Suba. My division is uh, still the same. I'm, my... my my work will never change. You know, I've been recruiting in Fiji to the NRL club since 2011, since I That's one thing I'll do. I'll push hard. we got 17 clubs. You know, my vision, if we have two Fijian players in the 17 teams, let's say 34 players in the program in the NRL system, you know, our um, rugby league team, Fiji Mbati, will be more, uh, more competitive in the uh, world stage. Um, that's one thing I'm looking at. The second thing is try to... Um, get the coaches upskill so they can coach the basic stuff properly. It's the fundamental stuff about rugby league in Fiji, you know, so they can lift the stand. You know, we got players in Fiji that can come to Australia and uh, train for two, three years and make the NRL straight away. You know, as you know, NRL system here, they got kids start from under 16. You know, 60% of them don't even make it. So that's the thing that I'm going to be working really hard, working with kids, working with uh, coaches. 
Yeah, and I know you do have uh, some some big NRL ties, having played in the competition back in the early 2000s. And, and we'll talk about uh, that in just a second, about you being a gateway. Um, just firstly, I know this job's going to be a bit of a multifaceted role. You've also been named National Coaching Director. What kind of things will that entail? Well, that's entailed uh, working with all the coaches, all the local coaches, all the secondary uh, school coaches. You know, what we need to do is build a pathway, you know, build a pathway for the young kids coming through from under 15 to under 19. You know, we're going to um, uh, work with them. So every camp that we do, we're going to invite all the coaches. So the coaching director is going to liaison with all the coaches, you know, upskill the coaches, look at the coaches, maybe look at the referee too. You know, um, uh, you know I'm lucky enough living in Australia for 27 years. I've got some good relationship with a lot of clubs. So we can try to attach a lot of the coaches with NRL clubs, I know they're always willing to help. You know, that's one good thing about rugby league. We always look after each other uh, to better for the game. So that's what I'm going to try to build while I'm there. You know, I'll try to identify some of the coaches, good development officers, so they can build. You know, the most important thing is just teach the fundamental stuff of rugby league. You know, the basic stuff. That's one thing we lack on, as you see, most of the club, what let them down is fundamental stuff anyway. So that's as a coaching director, I'm going to try to look at the coaches, how to upskill the coaches, how to you know, stay on a rugby league environment because rugby union is a big dominant in Fiji. So most of them, when things come unstuck, they seem <laughs> to go back to rugby union style and try to try to take that away from them. So it's 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 I'm excited. Put it that way. I'm excited to go for the next three years. You're listening to Pacific Beat, the Friday sporting edition of Pacific Beat. I'm speaking with Weiss Kativerata, who has just been appointed Fiji's National Rugby League coach. Now, Weiss, I understand you're based in Australia. You mentioned that a second ago. Will being based uh, here uh, assist you better in that role, do you, in the new in your new role, do you think, just given your connections to Australia and your connections within the NRL and things like that? Yeah, I think... Um uh, spending 27 years here in, in Australia with the uh, NRL clubs and playing and come back and work with a few of them, that really gave me a good base. So me moving to Fiji, at least I already got connection to the clubs, most of the clubs. So I'm just going to keep building that connection. You know, a um, few of the clubs already rang me. They're already interested coming over when I run the academy camp. Some of them want to run the skill clinic, so, which is a good thing. You know, the more of them coming to Fiji, the better. Mind, it's only three and a half hours <laughs> from Fiji, from yeah. Australia to Fiji. You know, you go on a hook, teach rugby league and have a little bit of holiday before you come back to Australia. Yeah, that's right. It's it's uh, it's not a far not a far trip at all, particularly from places like Cairns and Brisbane. Now, just on those NRL ties, um, you've played for three clubs back in the early two thousands. Would you like to see that pathway strengthen a little bit more for Fijians getting into the top grade into the NRL? Would you like to see more players in the NRL come the next World Cup time, for instance? Yes, yes, I love I love it. That's what I'm saying. You know, if we can have two, say for example, two each in NRL Cup, that's thirty four players we mm. can pick for. You know, we, we're lucky we go over cross. That's, that's one thing I I said during the World Cup. You know, we got a u- unique story uh, than Tong and Samoa because, and Cook Island. Most of them are born in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. But, you know, with the Fijian boys, you know, I go across my own way and get them since 2011. So now I'll be based in Fiji, work with NRL clubs and the Fijian boys. You know, there'll be more kids come from the island. It's a good story to tell, you know, yeah. to see their life where they started, you know, walking to school. You know, catching the school bus, the village lifestyle, and to hit the jackpot like Sammy Randranda, Sulia Chimunival, William Akiko. You know, it's, it's a good, great story. You know, I think the rugby league should spend more time and tell the story. So it'll teach young kids in Australia to appreciate what they do have here. 
and that's one thing I always encourage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you've helped guys like Semi Rudrata and uh, Sisawaka become household names. You know, how many up and comers are there back in Fiji that are, that are essentially just untapped talent? I imagine there's probably plenty of kids out there. Mate, there's plenty of kids out there. There's another kid. I just there's two kids signed with the Cowboys you now. Uh, Eparama Kiko. You know, he come from a very up. Uh, uh, very tough upbringing, you know, uh, with his mom, a single mom with Epa. And there's a kid there called uh, Ice Man who run 100 meters on 10.3. Both of these kids are six foot three, six foot four, you know. Ooh. And uh, by the time they 21, they'll be 100 kilo ready to go. You know, they all mm. can play football. It's a matter of picking the right one, come here, listen, and willing to work out. You know, rugby league is not easy sports. I keep telling them and remind them in Fiji, it's not easy. You need to work out and you need to be humble and listen to what's going on in rugby league environment. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like they've got the makings to be some pretty good uh, outside backs down the tracks. Um, just before we go today, Weiss, out of curiosity, how many na- uh, internationals will the Barty play between now uh, and the next World Cup? I think from talking to uh, the CEO, Don Natambi, I think they tried to set up a format like a Tri-Nation or something like that. Um, with Fiji pool with Tonga Samoa, we we move after the World Cup. We move up Papua New Guinea, go down with the Cook Islands. Uh, we and Australia pool with the New Zealand and England. Uh, they were talking about it. So I'm, once I've been Fiji, I'll have a look at it and work my head around it because I think after the they're gonna try to move all the game after the NRL season like October. That's from that's from my getting. So I'm not sure yet. So when I get to Fiji next week, I'll have a look at what draws we have, and I'll get in touch with all NRL clubs where we're heading the next three years. It'll be certainly something to uh, keep an eye on. Weiss, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations uh, on your appointment. We'll all be watching very closely. No worries. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Not a problem. That was Weiss, Katie Verata, the new head coach of the Fiji Bati. We can't wait to see how he does. Well, the upcoming Queensland Rugby League season, otherwise known as the Host Plus Cup, is shaping up as one of the most anticipated in years for the PNG Hunters, who will make their long-awaited return to Port Moresby in the 2023 season. But the club has quietly been making moves in Australia as well, most notably by entering a new partnership with the NRL's newest team, the Dolphins. The partnership will help strengthen the pathway for Hunters players looking to enter the professional ranks, and a select few could already be well on the way after being selected to trial with the Dolphins during the offseason. I recently caught up with Hunters coach Stanley Tepend, who told me all about those players, as well as some other PNG boys who could find themselves in NRL jerseys before long. We'll start with the Hunters boys themselves, the ones who are in the program in Roderick Ty, Sherwin Tanabi and uh, Judah Rimbu. I understand they've been trialling with the Dolphins. How have they been going? It's been very exciting for us. We've never had a affiliated club or we've never had a opportunity like this, I guess, in the past. So those three young men were invited to go down. They spent about eight weeks down there and, you know, which is the core part of the preseason, I guess. And, and Dolphins being a new team, having that connection with us was exciting for us. And, and not not just now, but for the future as well, for other Hunters players coming through. So they were good. I think Roderick Ty probably was the standout out of the out of the three. He played all our, all our four World Cup matches and he, he had a lot of interest from other clubs as well, but we felt it was probably better to go to uh, Dolphins. They've been back since they travel back uh, over the weekend and from what we hear everything's been positive 
Uh, Judah is a half five eight. It's a bit tough, especially for him to crack it. I guess going straight into a NRL system and showing not his edge back rower. So those two boys made it a little, little bit tough, especially with the new NRL club. But Roderick being an outside back, I think he had more of a more minutes in the last two trials they played. And Roderick's been told to just continue with the with his former hunters. And if anything happens during the season, then they bring him back. So all, all three gentlemen are back which is an extra boost for the hunters. It's exciting for the other hunters, younger hunters coming through because we've never had this connection directly with the NRL club. Yeah, I wanted to ask how that relationship between the hunters and the dolphins works. So essentially, that door is still slightly ajar if, you know, if their form's good enough with the hunters, particularly, you know, Roderick Ty, that they might actually find themselves in a dolphins jersey at some point during the season. It eventuated um, last year, like previous two seasons, the hunters were based in in Gold Coast with the COVID restrictions. And all the home games were played out of the Runaway Bay uh, Seagulls club there. So I'm looking to start for the boys, but uh, the, the relationship sort of came about, you know, the talk of Dolphins getting into the NRL and Redcliffe already being in the, in the, in the Host Plus Cup. We had through our CEO, Scott Barker, uh, who'd worked with uh, Wayne Bennett in the past. Through that relationship, our CEO you know, had meetings with Redcliffe while we were based down there. And Wayne actually traveled down to a couple of our sessions. And Wayne was pretty good in inviting three boys in, in this year's preseason before the season kicked off. So hopefully it's an ongoing thing. And then that's what he mentioned. And hopefully we can cement more ties in, in the future. Now, Roderick Sherwin and Judah weren't the only ones trialing for NRL contracts. We also had Sylvester Namu and Dan Russell. They were also in the mix with other clubs. Can you talk a little bit about them? Sylvester was with the Hunters last year. So he's a he's a local boy that's come through the Hunters system, through the local DGSL Cup. He's a middle forward. We had a cowboy rep come over and watch some of the games. And from there, they've invited him to go down and do a preseason with the Cowboys. And he's one guy that's, that's going to actually stay down there, Sylvester, with the Cowboys and their Host Plus Cup affiliate, which is the Blackhawks, I believe. So he'll be spending the 12 months down there. And from all reports we've been getting, and he's going well. There's a couple more other young PNG boys at the in the Cowboy system, which haven't, which have have not come through the Hunters system. But being PNG certainly makes the Kumuls and our uh, our representative team uh, stronger. Robert Derby, I had him in the PNG Kumuls team in in the media test against Fiji, and he played well. He was unfortunate not to make the World Cup because of injuries. And then Zach Labard, who's a younger brother of Kyle Labard, who's a current PNG Kumuls half. And Wavik Ragzi, uh, he's been in the Cowboy system for a while through their junior. So, look, the Cowboys been closer to home, I guess, as well, if you can say that. It's good to have those PNG boys in there and uh, we've got a few other guys in the in the other NRL clubs, but those who have been the probably you know the younger ones coming through the Cowboy system, I guess. Yeah, we spoke about uh, Zach and Kyle briefly on air. Zach, really exciting up and coming player, and, and Kyle as well. You know, you always thought of him as that young up and comer, but all of a sudden he's 25 years old now. Do you think this could be the yeah. season for him to sort of become a bit of a mainstay in that Cowboys program? He's played a couple of NRL games, and obviously he's been in the mix within that first grade side been very unlucky that he hasn't played more he's big for a half he's good defensively um and then he's smarter with the ball so you know this could be the year and hopefully this is the year he's not old he's, he's at the right age where he can still 
catch an eye of um, of an NRL club. So we wish him all the best. And the younger brother, Zach, there's been a lot of good feedback of Zach. He played the trial last weekend against the Dolphins. And, um, yeah, hopefully he cracks it as well. And it, it's all exciting for PNG. We hope that they both can play some first grade this year in the NRL. Just before we go today, it's obviously been a long off-season. How's the preparation for the new season been coming along? It's been different and, and tough for myself personally, being my first preseason in charge. And I'm, I'm really lucky I've got good support and staff around me. We have a trial, first trial this weekend against the Capras who travel up to Port Moresby. So that'll be interesting to see where we are at and gauge ourselves. Um, I think the first two rounds are away in Brisbane and then we uh, back home for our third um, round with the East Tigers. So there's been a few new boys come in. It's always hard because it's, an, it's just another level from the DigiCell Cup, the local competition, to the Host Plus Cup. So we've just been trying to keep everything simple and just make everything game-related and, and get them to train in, in different scenarios or what to expect. Yeah, some exciting revelations there. That was Stanley Tepin giving us an update on which PNG players have been trialling with NRL teams. Uh, Dan Russell is another we didn't mention. He had a great Rugby League World Cup campaign with the Kummels uh, and has signed a train and trial contract with the St. George Dragons. He actually signed similar deals with North Queensland and Melbourne in the past, but never cracked the top grade. Let's hope the third time is the charm for him. It's that time of the morning. We're going to go around the Pacific to check out the headlines from around the region. Uh, and to do that, I'm joined by producer Nick Fogarty. Nick, welcome. Morning, Kyle. How are you this morning? Yeah, very good, thanks. <laughs> Enjoying the warm weather. <laughs> that is good to hear. We don't, we don't get much of that in Melbourne, do we? No. Uh, everything's coming to a head at the Oceania Champions League qualifying playoffs. What's this about? Yeah, so another qualifier for the competition finals will be decided today as Samoan champions... Lupe Ole Sawanga will take on Cook Islands champions Tupapa Maraerenga FC. The odds are maybe slightly in Lupe Ole Sawanga's favour, though, as they only need a draw to qualify on goal difference. Uh, Radio New Zealand's reporting that both sides got through to today's match after big wins in Apia on Wednesday. Tupapa eased past Iloa and uh, Toomata of American Samoa 8 0 in their second game of the tournament, while Lupe Ole Soanga were equally impressive in a 9-0 win over Vetongo FC of Tonga. Uh, elsewhere in the Vanuatu playoff, Ifira Blackbird had a commanding 3-0 win in their game against Sierranga. Uh, the scores were goalless there at halftime before Ifira, who are from Port Vila, took control of the game. And in Solomon Islands, the nation's top two teams, Kossa FC and Solomon Warriors, fought out a one-all draw. So the winner of the competition proper, of course, will earn the right to compete at the 2023 FIFA Club World Cup in Saudi Arabia in December. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. And shout out to the PNG women's team as well, who unfortunately bowed out of their World Cup dreams uh, last week against Panama, but a fantastic effort uh, nonetheless. Switching to the oval ball now, we all know the strength that Fiji has in rugby sevens with the men being World Cup and dual Olympic champions. And apparently they've spoken out about the pressure they're under as they scramble to qualify for the Paris Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, the 2024 Paris Olympics are coming up fast, but amazingly, Fiji's men are still yet to book their ticket to that competition. To do that, they'll need to claim a top four finish in the World Rugby Sevens Series, but right now they're sitting fifth 
on the table with six more tournaments to go. Uh, the first of those upcoming tournaments starts this Sunday with the Los Angeles Sevens, and the Fiji Times is reporting that head coach Ben Gollings has said the team have been under pressure, but he says it's nothing that they can't handle and that they're excited about the next two tournaments uh, with the Vancouver Sevens to come the week after LA. Uh, Gollings says he expects the Fiji fans will be out in force in the US and Canada as they always are, with Fiji taking on Japan, Kenya and Australia in the pool stage in LA. Uh, and I'll be naming four debutantes across the two tournaments as well. Yeah, risky time to be uh, naming debutantes, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think? There's a lot on the line. <laughs> there is indeed. And shout out to Samoa as well. I think they're currently sitting uh, third or fourth uh, in the World Rugby 7 Series. Mm. So let's hope they can uh, cling on to a spot as well. Uh, and some notable athletics news out of Wallace and Futuna. Yeah, it's only a collection of tiny islands northeast of Fiji and part of France as well. But Radio New Zealand's reporting that a shot putter from Wallace and Fortuna has broken the French under-23 record. So Stephen Mailangi won gold in the Clermont-Ferrand weight-throwing competition in France with a throw of 19.07 metres. He was third in the French Championships in 2022 and he also won bronze in the Mediterranean under-23 indoor championships. So the Wallisian will now compete in the French Winter Throws Championships in Provence in early March. And congratulations to him for that record. Wallisian has quite a sound to it, doesn't it? Uh, mm. Good luck. Good luck to him indeed. Nick Fogarty, thank you very much for joining us today. No worries, Kyle. It's Friday the 24th of February and you're listening to the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat. It's a football edition in many ways with so much happening across all the rugby codes around the Pacific at the moment. We've got a bit more to come in a short time. We're going to head to Tonga to learn about the country's first ever female rugby 15s competition, which kicked off recently. We'll also catch up with Tia Rocco to recap all the big stories of the week, including the World Rugby 7 Series taking place in LA, which Nick and I just spoke about as a matter of fact, all eyes are going to be on Samoa and Fiji there. Tune in to SBS Samoa News on ABC Radio Australia. SBS Samoa News features independent news and stories connecting you to life in Australia and Samoan speaking Australians by our friends at SBS Australia. SBS Samoa News. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays at 6.05am Samoan time for one hour of news in the Samoan language on ABC Radio Australia. Well, last year's Super W final is one that will forever be burned into the history books for the Fijiana Andrua, who went undefeated to claim the competition's top prize in their maiden season. And now they're getting ready to do it all again. The club's premiership defence officially begun this week at the official launching of the Fiji Rugby Union 2023 Women's Rugby Campaign in Nandi. The launch celebrated Fiji's partnership with Australia and the ongoing support provided through the Pacific Oz Sports Program to keep women's rugby thriving at a grassroots and elite level. The launch was officiated by Fiji PM Sidavani Rambuka, who stood alongside Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong, and he was quick to point out how much success Fiji has enjoyed in recent years. Today I'm proud to celebrate the notable achievement of the Fiji Rugby Union and rugby's remarkable treasure trove of two Olympic gold medals, one bronze medal, one quarter cup final and, uh, and the IRB 7 Series champions and one super women's wing. Yes, who can forget that spine-tingling 32-26 win over the New South Wales Waratahs 
Here's Penny Wong speaking at the event. Australia wants to support the full participation of women in society because we believe the community benefits from that. So, yes, I believe in gender equality. Um, we would talk about that, but it is actually about a stronger community. It's a stronger community if you get the benefit of all of the skills and talents of your, your society, and that means the full participation of women and girls. And one of the ways in which you do that is through sport. And speaking of Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong, she's continuing her visit to Fiji today as she leads the country's delegation at the Pacific Islands Forum. While there, she's pledged money towards the recovery of cyclone-damaged schools in Fiji, and this morning she told the ABC's News Breakfast that climate change stands above all other security and economic issues for the Pacific. From our perspective, we've been out in the region, uh, we've engaged more, we've listened more, we've obviously got... Uh, a much more sensible and ambitious position on climate, which is the central issue, the most important national security and economic issue facing Pacific Islands. Uh, We've engaged, uh, and uh, it's fantastic to be here, one of the the really um, positive developments ahead of this Pacific Islands Forum is, of course, Kiribati, uh, which left the forum uh, last year, uh, coming back into the forum. Uh, That's something we've been supporting Uh, We're really pleased that 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 has occurred because, uh, as I said yesterday to a number of the leaders, uh, we're stronger together. Uh, Speaking of the region, of course, lingering concerns about China's ambitions in the the region. Overnight as well, the US announced it is quadrupling the number of troops it will have on the ground in Taiwan for for training purposes. Uh, Amid rising tensions, of course, between the US and China after the Chinese spy balloons and a range of other things, what do you think of that move to increase the number of troops, American troops in Taiwan? Look, on Taiwan, uh, it's very clear what we want is the maintenance of the status quo. We we don't want any party to unilaterally uh, alter the status quo. Uh, And one of the things that we have been uh, calling for, which is consistent with President Biden's own words, is to urge both the United States and China in particular uh, to ensure they have guardrails to manage their competition. The region, the world can't afford the great powers engaging in unrestrained competition. Certainly President Biden makes it, and uh, Secretary Blinken has made clear they understand that. Uh, and uh, we would want uh, there to be engagement uh, Uh, between the the two major powers, the two great powers, to ensure there is no escalation. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong speaking there from Fiji. Pacific Beat. Well, it's been a historic couple of weeks for women's rugby in Tonga as the country's first ever national female rugby 15s competition kicked off. It's a significant milestone in a long and bumpy road for rugby in Tonga, which has endured horrific cyclones, COVID-19 and last year's devastating volcanic eruption and tsunami. The competition's emergence is also being mirrored by a push to get more women into off-field leadership and executive positions. Nick Fogarty caught up with Tonga Rugby Union CEO Peter Harding, who spoke about the new competition's origins. When we started out, we kicked uh, kickstarted Tonga Rugby again in 2021. One of the main um, objectives was to to honour the World Rugby's uh, aim for 40% participation of women in rugby at all levels and across uh, all parts of rugby. We we had a couple of people who kept women's rugby alive in in Tonga during a difficult period, which was like 2015 to 2019, and. 
we we were just building on the work that they did to put a, a decent committee together, you know, of committed people who wanted to get um get women's rugby up and running. We've we have a look across at Fiji and they've taken ten years to get to the stage where they have a very competitive international team. And we wanted to get to that stage and we had to start somewhere. Um, we've had a number of sevens competitions and we have a reasonable sevens team. We've had a couple of fifteens teams go away for one off or two off tests. But really, without an underpinning competition, it doesn't make much sense. So development manager here, Richie, has worked really hard with the women's development officer, who is a setter, and they've um, worked very hard to put a women's 15s competition together. At the moment, I think it's five teams at last count, um, and it's probably over two or three weeks, four weeks, and it will lead into a couple of international games against Samoa. But the um, the fact that we've got it up and off the ground, I think, is it's only going to open the floodgates um, for more teams to come on board. And once that happens, it's going to be up to us to get it organised and also make sure that, you know, they have appropriate coaching and medical and, and preparation as well. So there's obviously more than 170 islands in, in Tonga. How difficult is it logistically to to kind of organise a proper fully national rugby competition? Uh, the, the Tongan rugby is divided into subunions, which are represented by the main island groups, you know, Awa, Hapai, um, Vavau and Tonga Tapu. Tonga Tapu is the main island with probably 70% of the people, 75% of the people on it. Um, we've, we've been engaging as much as we possibly can with the outer islands. We don't know about females, but in the male teams, especially Hapai and Vavau have put together a lot of very, very good players over the years. So they need to be on board. But uh, the rugby up there has been quite quite moribund, moribund for a while because of um, it's just been a lack of activity. So we're trying to kick it off again. So as far as the women go, it's going to be a while before everybody's represented. Eventually they will be, but at the moment it's mainly based in the main island, which is Tongatapu. You say it goes, we'll probably go for two or three weeks. Um, so, yeah, how's the competition actually shaping up and who are the top sides and any, any top players that are, are standing out? Uh, you'd probably have to have to ask the women about that that particular about that. They started last weekend. We've had really bad rain up here, like tropical rain for a long time. So they had to search for field to get the first round off last weekend. I haven't actually talked to Richie about whether they're going to be able to get it another round off this weekend because it's been the rain has been terrible. Men's sevens competition has been called off for this weekend. The first weekend went off, and it was the, <laughs> the amount of enthusiasm and. Uh, and joy and vigour that they bring to the rugby uh, in Tonga on the female side is just phenomenal. So it did go off very, very well. It was highly competitive and um, shines a light on the future, I think. Yeah, I, I saw some photos. Uh, I guess it was from the same competition of uh, some very, very big puddles on the the field and lots of mud, but the the women and girls participating um, very keenly. So, yeah, it looked very enjoyable. Now, last year's volcanic eruption has had ramifications literally across the globe in terms of extreme weather events and such. So not just in terms of this competition, but generally with rugby in Tonga, how did that affect the ability to get rugby competitions off the ground there over the last 12 months? Uh, there was no rugby um, for the first 10 months. Um, the school sport was called off and they concentrated on exams because the first five months nobody was – and, you know, we were on lockdown because we, we hadn't had uh, hadn't had COVID up till then. So 
<clears throat> once COVID came, we went into a pretty hard lockdown to try and control it. The health department had done an amazing job when, like, I think they were almost 100% vaccinated here. So the risk wasn't as great as in other countries. So they did a fantastic job. And um, we had five months lockdown. With, we came out of lockdown and um, they put together a very short three-week men's competition at the end of the year. We played a couple of games, under-20s games against Samoa, and they had some sevens competitions the week, weekend before Christmas. So it was all sort of uh, bunched up and shoved into the corner at the end of the year. But apart from that, it was just not possible to play. Now, Tonga is one of the countries that's part of the Oceania Rise rugby program that started last year where Pacific Rugby Unions get some Australian government funding um, to help provide women with more on and off field opportunities. So how's that program unfolded? Um, and has there been a, a concerted effort to get women into more leadership positions in rugby? Yeah, there has been. Uh, the The program's exceptional. I mean, we're a country where, the, you know, like if you look at the top probably 30 or 40 countries in the world playing rugby, we're by far the smallest. Um, and over the last five years, we've had three major events, you know, two Category 5 cyclone, Category 3, plus the last year tsunami, et cetera. So the country's doing its best to recover from everything that's happened over the last five or six years. So there's, resources are pretty scarce. So those um, that's been absolute gold for us up here to help us out. And we've got a couple of uh, – there's three positions here which were uh, funded where women are funded into senior roles and, and that's going well. And I think, well, <laughs> for me personally, it helps out our balance between the sexes in the office, so that's good. But also it's giving a couple of people here opportunities that way they wouldn't get otherwise. And, um, yeah, I think it's going well, let alone the money that they've assisted us with to run competitions for women without that it would be very, very difficult to get, you know, these, these standard bearer competitions up and running. Wow, exciting times for Fiji Rugby, uh, for female rugby union in Tonga. That was Tonga Rugby Union CEO Peter Harding speaking to Nick Fogarty. This is the Friday sports edition of Pacific Beat in what's been a fairly action-packed week of news, particularly in football across the Pacific. And to help us put some of it into context, we are joined by Pacific sports journalist and writer and administrator of the of the Fiji Rugby Facebook group, Tia Roko. Tia, welcome back to Pacific Beat. <laughs> Greetings from Arnhem Land, Carl. It's always so good to be here. Uh, and exciting to hear what's happening across the region with sports. Absolutely, and it's great to have you back on the show. Now, let's start with the big news of the week. Uh, former NRL player Weiss Kativarata has been named the permanent coach of the Fiji Batty for the next three years. What do you make of it? Well, certainly good news, Carl. So a few weeks ago while I was in Sydney, I spent some time with Wise prior to him flying to Fiji for his interview for the role. Uh, I've known Wise now for uh, almost a decade. And, um, Carl, he was introduced to me by the former uh, chair of the FNRL, Penny Musinamasi. There you go. Wow. I- Yeah, so I wrote on my forums this week after his official appointment that we all love a story of the boy from the village who was discovered. He played in the NRL, former rugby league player, quietly in the background 
background, successfully attaining his coaching qualifications whilst working away as a barista in one of Sydney's renowned locations in World Square. But there is more, Kyle. He opens the door of opportunities to some of um, the NRL's greatest current, um, greatest uh, Fijian players through his hard work and, and opening doors to others like himself. So we talked about it on uh, Pacific Beat during the delayed Rugby League World Cup in 2022. And Wise, you know, he's he's somebody who knows all too well the story of struggle, yet he still perseveres in the land of Rugby League, Carl, which, mind you, has its own set of politics. So here is a man that never gives up, stands up for what he believes in, and as, as I always say, rough around the edges, but not afraid to call a spade a spade. So, Carl, no doubt, people in the Pacific and uh, in Fiji in particular, will be scrutinising his leadership and his greatest strength will be demonstrated in the development of players and player pathway on the ground as Wise will work hard at it. Yeah, we had him on the show earlier and, and you're right, you know, one of the things he did make a point in saying was one of his big priorities was, was you know, going back to Fiji and, and, and discovering some of that untapped talent and, and sort of the, the kids there who, you know, are struggling to get an opportunity and, and basically giving them one. You mentioned to me when we were chatting uh, off air the other day that he's, he, he's, he's held in very high regard from a lot of some of the NRL's biggest movers and shakers who will often come to him uh, for advice uh, in regards to Fiji talent. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, Carl. He does not come to the table as a stranger to Fiji Rugby League administrators, coaches, seasoned players and upcoming players. He is a veteran in the circuit, Carl. Pre-Rugby League World Cup, uh, Kativarata was always, um, you know, has always been on the outskirts looking in and he was never invited uh, by previous Rugby World Cup personnel pre-2022. So here we are in 2023, he gets the opportunity to lead and it is timely for unbeknownst to many, uh, the former former coach Rambele has, had always trusted him, having him by his side on the onset and uh, he has been unanimously supported by the FNRL in terms of recognising uh, Kativarata's worth by appointing him as the coach. But if we look at Kativarata's value, Kyle, he plays a big part as a doorway to hundreds of young people mm. hoping to be spotted throughout the annual um, National Fiji Secondary um, Schools Rugby League competition and the Rugby Dean's Trophy competition. So he was instrumental in spotting Kikau, Semi Randrandra, Suli Vunivalu, Sisawanga, Semi Valime, Sandrungu, and so many others. So he is trusted by NRL clubs who are looking for players across the shores in Fiji and is renowned throughout the NRL fraternity. As I said during the week, a good choice by the FNRL, who are also, by the way, in talks with their Fiji Rugby League Players Association with regards to affiliation, but on WISE, an excellent choice. WISE will be the gateway to the corridors of the NRL and Australia's NRL club land, which he has a plethora of connections to, Carl.
This is the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat. I'm recapping all the big stories of the week with Pacific sports journalist and writer and administrator of the Fiji Rugby Facebook group, Tia Rocco. Tia, let's move on for the moment. It's the halfway point of the World Rugby 7 Series this weekend. And what a massive one it is. Samoa sitting in third place while the Olympic gold medalist Fiji are on the outside looking in. Um, let's start with Samoa. They've got the US, Chile and, and, and tabletop as New Zealand up first. How do you rate, uh, rate their chances this weekend? Oh, look, as you said, Carl, what a busy week in rugby in general, right? So, so, ma- so many things happening in the landscape. Super rugby already in motion. We have the Super W coming up. Preparations in relation to the World Cup, somewhat controversial uh, with Fiji. But then, you know, Los Angeles is here. The Samoan preparation, we're definitely looking forward to. Look, as I always say, the Samoans, yes, my favourite team, um, <laughs> they, they're always quietly working away, chipping away quietly in the background. And this is what I love about the Samoa national team. In between each series, they're focused, they continue on to the next uh, piece of work ahead of them, you know, so wishing them well this weekend. And I believe they're currently in third place, Carl. Yeah, they are. They're doing uh, fantastic. And, and they've really been the positive story so far this season, I think. Um, as for Fiji, though, yeah, look, lo- like we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, Olympic gold medalists, World Cup winners last year, currently on the outside looking in, they must really be feeling the pinch, don't you think? Yes, with the Samoans in third place at the moment, Carl, the Fijians were currently ranked 11th, you know, look to be a threat to them. Only time will tell this weekend. Look, this is no doubt a nail-biting series for Fiji, a lot of pressure, as you mentioned earlier in the program. Um, as the narrative that surrounds this country's team has been mixed and this weekend's results will either amplify the murmurings online for, you know, Carl. Since the last leg of the series in 2022, fans were calling for accountability in as far as coaching and controversial player choices. So either that will continue or the negative murmurs will drown. As I said, the Fijians were starting to question the coaching of the team, but hopefully things will turn around for them this weekend, Kyle. Yeah, well, we're at the halfway point of the uh, World Rugby 7 Series, so not a lot of time to turn it around. And Tia, just lastly, before we go today, uh, we know that you love your footy. and uh, We had a great story last week about PNG's plans to implement a, uh, or hopefully implement a national flag football competition. That's American football, just without all the, all the massive contact. Uh, they obviously love it in American Samoa. Do you think it could be successful elsewhere across the Pacific? Most definitely. Look... This is going to be an interesting narrative to watch, Carl, a very heartwarming story, and it's a clear example of perseverance and focusing on a goal that you believe that you, that you believe in, pardon me. The ABC Radio, of course, last week, in fact, um, Carl, yourself, you reported um, that in PNG a new sport was taking hold. So uh, since 2020, the popularity of this sport has really grown, uh, and I believe 200 young people so far are involved. And what I love about this story is that the AFF president said that he hoped to build a national team to compete in international championships, which I believe are coming uh, in November 
November. So when speaking to the lovely Jordan Fennell last week, Timothy uh, said that he was studying in the Philippines when he picked up the sport and then he went back to PNG in 2017 and started the sport. So how fantastic is this story, uh, Carl? The sport is certainly growing and they're looking uh, to compete at the international stage this year in Malaysia, Carl. Yeah, it is a great sport, and how unlucky for Jordan Mailata as well in the uh, in the recent Super Bowl. Not not sure if you watched it, but uh, not a fun way to lose a uh, a grand final. That's for sure. Uh, Tia, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm sure we'll have you on probably next week. Always great to be here. Thank you, Carl. That was Tia Rocco, Pacific Sports journalist, putting some of the big stories of the week into context for us. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time Monday morning with Priyanka Srinivasan in the chair. That's at 6am. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3pm PNG time. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia because the news is next. You can find our top stories on our website.